0: When you read this podcast episode title Race and Medicine, I can assure you that this episode has nothing to do with half marathons or marathon trainings. This has to do with race in the US healthcare system from the perspective of patients as well as medical trainees. This was not a topic that I think I'm in any ways an expert on. And I haven't even listened back to this episode yet to edit it, but I can imagine there's probably segments of it where I get a little awkward and don't exactly know how to verbalize what I'm trying to get across. But I decided to put this podcast episode out because of a couple experiences that I've had this year as well as during my residency training that I felt were worthwhile to share with you all as opposed to just keeping these observations to myself. Now my goal isn't to make any groundbreaking revelations in terms of How we handle race and medicine more so just to share with you my perspective and the perspective of others that I've seen around me for how race and being a minority can be perceived. So I hope you enjoy this episode and bear through my ramblings and hopefully take something out of the stories that I have to share with you. Maybe there are stories that resonate with you. and are scenarios that you've seen played out in the past as well. Welcome to CMO. Welcome to collecting my observations. Enter into the stream of thoughts that flow through the mind of an ICU fellow who is on his way to becoming an anesthesiologist and intensivist. This is where patients live on the verge of life and death. Talking about race and medicine was not a topic that I thought I'd be talking about on this podcast at all, let alone in the series of Collecting My Observations. And I've been thinking long and hard about whether or not I even wanted to release this podcast episode because I know the topic of race can be somewhat triggering and can be controversial. And if you know me at all personally, I tend to steer away from controversy and tend to stay away from confrontation. Most of my following that I've made on social media comes from just doing the same thing, which is just online medical education without any fancy viral dances or hopping on TikTok trends that tends to get you more views on social media. And sticking to that plan has always worked for me. But having this platform and creating an opportunity to talk about my observations and recognizing that Race has played a factor in a recent patient interaction that I had, as well as interactions that I had with medical students when I was a resident, made me feel like this was an appropriate time to talk about the topic. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to avoid talking about this topic is because the last thing I want to do is come off as somebody who's preachy or trying to make people change the way they already live their lives or go about their days. However, I do think. I bring in a unique perspective and unique observations that may bring some perspective in terms of how we treat our patients, how we see our patients, and how we see our medical learners in the medical education system. So a little bit about my background. If you don't know who I am and you've never seen a picture of me, the name Kenny John can be a little bit ambiguous in terms of what my race is. Growing up, when we had standardized exams, the box for a race that I would check was Asian. But in terms of how I would describe my nationality, after 2001, it sort of shifted the way that my family, or at least I would describe my nationality to people who would ask. Both of my parents are immigrants from Pakistan, and having a background that's Pakistani, Obviously, it was not the most popular thing to have in America, especially since Osama bin Laden, who was one of the most hated people in America, was hiding in the mountains of Pakistan for a majority of his time before he was found. And so bringing up my nationality, it was always easier just to say that I was Indian and less questions would be asked if that was the way I presented myself. But realistically, both of my parents came from Pakistan My grandparents were around when India and Pakistan were one country, and they ended up on the Pakistan side of the border when they separated. And now as I've gotten older and more confident in who I am and just more proud of where my parents came from and what they've been through, I've become much more willing to share with people what my nationality is, not only just my race of being Asian, but where my family roots came from. Now, this episode is not about me or what my race and nationality is. It's more about the perspective of what it means to be a minority as a patient in the U.S. healthcare system, as well as what it means to be a minority medical student in the medical education system in the U.S. And I have two specific scenarios that I'm going to go through with you guys. So, if we learned anything in 2020 with the whole pandemic, one of the biggest takeaways was that people in this country have a lot of mistrust for the medical healthcare system. And in particular, people who are minorities have a huge mistrust for the medical system. And a lot of that stems from being treated by people, healthcare providers, who are not of the same race as them. Now, there's a lot of history in terms of how minorities were treated by the healthcare system that I'm not gonna get into in this podcast. But all that's to say that there are some validated reasons why people would have mistrust. Now a scenario that I'm gonna describe happened a few weeks ago when I was in the cardiac ICU. It was a patient who had open heart surgery, was persistently hypoxic, requiring supplemental oxygen. And when we got a chest x-ray, it looked like she had some pleural effusions on both sides of her lungs. Now, just to set the scene for you a little bit, this was a patient who, on the outside of their room, had a sign on the door that said, before coming into the room, please see the nurse, because the patient has been exhausted and would like some sleep. So right off the bat, I knew that talking to this patient about uh, putting in a chest tube, potentially, was not going to be the easiest conversation to have. So when I first got to the patient's room, she was using the bathroom, and the nurse asked me to just give them a few minutes. So I patiently waited outside the room, which happens to have computers there, right there. And so I reviewed her chest imaging. I got all the supplies ready for the chest tube. I got the ultrasound ready. And my plan was gonna be to scan both sides of her lungs to see if there was a pocket of fluid that I'd be able to tap put a chest tube in and drain some of that fluid around her lungs now when we scan the lungs especially if we're looking for a pocket to drain fluids you're looking in the anterior axillary line which is basically just below where the armpit is right around the level of where your nipple is now for doing this on guys it's relatively easy to do it's not too intimate of a space looking at the chest but when it comes to female patients, obviously, this is a very sensitive part of their body. And being a male provider myself, I take that very sensitively. And I also understand that patients of different ethnic backgrounds have a different perspective in terms of being vulnerable around healthcare providers. Now, patients in particular, we basically strip them down, put them in a hospital gown, attach them to tubes and wires, and they're, they're pretty much the most vulnerable they could be in that moment. So before even getting to the ultrasound scan, I wanted to develop a rapport with this person so that she could trust me and understood that what I was doing was for her benefit, even though it may have caused a little bit of discomfort in the time. And so this woman was also an immigrant from India. She had come over in her 20s, I believe, had two or three kids in America, and we were really able to bond over that background. I told her about my own parents' background, my parents also having three children in America. She told me a little bit about her husband and how her husband's job was a the reason they came to America, how he was the first one in their family to come here, and then brought the rest of their family here. And so before we knew it, I had known what she did for work, what her husband did for work, where her kids lived in the country, if they were married or not. And just right there, we already built quite a bit of rapport. The story is not to drive home the point that you have to be a Brown person to make this connection with a Brown patient or that. You have to be the same race in order to make these connections in order to make your patient feel comfortable. But I do think my race and my background and my family's background and our history of being an immigration family was something that this patient found comforting because it aligned with her own stories. So taking the time to truly understand your patients and know who they are, I think is really important in developing that trust because the next thing I had to do was ultrasound her lungs. Like I mentioned, obviously on women, it's going to be a little bit more difficult where you have to displace the breast and really get up close and personal to these patients. Now, after I had found a pocket of fluid that we were going to tap and put a chest tube in, I also had to explain this procedure to the patient, which is not the most comfortable procedure to go through. We use numbing medicine around the rib cage, basically right on top of the ribs. Using that needle, I'll go in and see if I can aspirate any fluid. And then after we've topicalized the skin, I go in with a knife or scalpel, cut a hole, and then go in with a larger needle. Once I get into that pleural space, I advance a catheter in, suture the catheter into place, and then attach the catheter to a pleurovac container or a collection container that's then attached to suction. Immediately after getting into that space, I drained about think 200 to 300 mls of fluid right away and we had given this patient a little bit of sedation to help her get through the procedure. I came through the unit later that day to make sure that she was doing okay after the procedure. At that point she was up in a chair, looked like she was eating some lunch and her husband was in the room. When I came in the room she was smiling, looked at her husband and said this was a physician I was telling you about who did the procedure on me. Already, I could already feel a sense of pride within myself that one, she was feeling better, was clearly able to talk in complete sentences without getting short of breath, which was new, because this morning when I was talking to her, she was so tachypnic and so short of breath that she was stopping every couple of words to take a breath. And now she was able to tolerate sitting up in a chair. She told me that she was ambulating outside in the halls, and it was a little bit painful from the stab wounds she called it when I stabbed her chest but overall she was grateful for the procedure that was done for her. Not only that but I was able to make some small talk with a husband knowing his background in engineering and he was also very appreciative that I think I was taking the time to just treat them like humans and not just another patient on my to-do list for that day. Now, my goal is always to treat patients like they're family member of mine. And I think subconsciously, when you see patients who look like you or are the same race as you, this concept becomes that much easier to do without even thinking twice about it. And my hope is that I carry this forward for all of my patients, obviously, and that I take the time to build this rapport and get to know them on a more personal level than just the primary complaint or the problem that brought them into the hospital. And by taking those few moments just to recognize that they're human with their own life story, they're able to put their trust in me that I'm gonna take care of them to the best of my ability. Now the second scenario that I'm gonna go over involves a couple medical students when I was at Brown. So, when I was a resident at Brown, we would have medical students rotate through us. And I remember in particular two fourth year medical students who were doing their acting internships and were getting ready to start to put together their application and were deciding on where they wanted to interview and ultimately where they wanted to match. Both of them were exceptional medical students. And I would ask them, you know, would you consider staying at Brown? Both of them when I first asked them that question told me that they would be honored and excited to stay at Brown but one of their biggest concerns is that they didn't see any attendings who looked like them. Now both of these medical students were both black and at Rhode Island Hospital we had no black physicians who were anesthesiologists in our department and this is not to knock the department of anesthesia at Rhode Island Hospital Because at my current hospital, we also do not have any black physicians who are anesthesiologists as well. The caveat to that is where I'm training currently, there is a diverse group of residents here who will turn out to be attendings in their future. And I think we are developing more and more of a diverse attending population. And so I don't think this problem is going to be present, hopefully for too much longer. But when you take the time to really look around and see who is represented in terms of races in our departments and in medicine in general, there's clearly still a lot of ground to gain in order to represent our country as a whole and also our trainees who are coming up through the medical system so that they can find mentors who look like them. So going back to these medical students who I was talking to, when they told me that they didn't see any mentors or attendings who looked like them. At first, I don't think I totally understood why they were making it such a big deal or why this was at the forefront of their brain, because we really did have some awesome mentors and people who are really invested in teaching and making sure that trainees were becoming the best possible anesthesiologists to come out of that program. But then when I think about the people in my career, who I've found to be mentors in my life, Dr. Shai Lasher being one of them, Dr. Shaz Shafi here at Beth Israel, Dr. Samnath Bose, these are all men when I think about it, and I don't have to think hard, but I realize that these are all brown men with similar backgrounds to me. And for whatever reason, they're the ones who I've really clicked with in terms of a mentor-mentee relationship. Subconsciously, it's probably just the way it played out where I could see myself in their positions and hope that one day I can be as talented or as wise and quick on my feet as they are. But then the more I've thought about this topic and the more I've thought about this episode, perhaps this relationship goes both ways. And these men have taken special interest in me because they see a younger version of themselves in me. And maybe that's a reason why I feel like they're more invested in me than perhaps some of the other attendings who I work with. So often I think back to these medical students and although I didn't completely understand where they were coming from two or three years ago, I've gained an appreciation that this is a really important thing in our medical education system to make sure that we have diverse attendings and we have diverse mentors for these medical students who are coming up through our medical education system. Because the medical education system and the training system is not an easy one. And you have good days, but you also have really tough days. And you have days where you feel very purposeful but you also have days where you have failures and you have struggles. And without strong mentorship, it's really easy to get burnt out and feel like you're doing something wrong or you're not achieving your best potential that you can. I know the mentors that I've mentioned have not only steered me in a direction in terms of how I want my career to play out in terms of goals and aspirations, but have also reassured me that along the way I'm on the right track. And it's so easy to get discouraged by just looking around at your colleagues and feeling like you're not up to par in certain situations. But having someone like a mentor tell you that you're on the right track and you're doing all the right steps can just be reassuring that you're not falling behind the ball and that as long as you keep up with what you're doing, you're likely gonna end up to the place that you wanna be. So to wrap up this conversation about race that I never thought I'd really be having on this podcast, I hope that this conversation has opened up some perspective to what it's like being a minority in the medical education system, as well as potentially what it's like to be a patient in the medical system in the US. I fortunately have not had to be a patient in the healthcare system, at least to any serious degree but I can understand and I am sympathetic to the vulnerability that we put any patient in when they become a patient in the healthcare system, but particularly when you're a minority in the US healthcare system. So my goal out of all of this, if you've hung in there throughout this episode and put up with me rambling on about this topic, is that us as healthcare providers, even if we're not the same race as the people we're treating, it's our goal to treat everybody with grace and with sympathy and to be understanding of differences in terms of decision makings and the way that different cultures and different religions Mm -hmm. view medicine and view life. And hopefully we can find common ground in terms of what's realistic and what's reasonable for medical care. Because every patient deserves to have an active voice and an opinion in how they're being treated in the hospital. And for our students in medicine, they also deserve the opportunity and the ability to find mentors that look like them and that take special interest in them because those mentors see a younger version of themselves in these students. If you like this episode of CMO, be sure to hit the subscribe button to the Behind the Drapes podcast, where you can hear more episodes just like this and have the new episodes downloaded to your homepage as they come out. If you want to check out some of the educational content that I put out, check out my social media page on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, and that's at Keywords by Kenny, at keywords xkenny, and that'll get you to the short videos that I put out about different educational topics related to anesthesia and the ICU.